Welcome to episode number 20, the fall kickoff episode of the Ministry Story Podcast. Today is Monday, September the 5th, 2011. I am David Tonin, your host. I haven't recorded an episode since June. I took the summer off to rest and recalibrate, but now I'm ready to kick off a fall season, a fresh new season of ministry, and I'm guessing that you as a church leader are preparing to do the same. And I hope that I'll be able to help motivate you and inspire you to communicate with greater effectiveness, excellence, and impact in the coming months. Today's episode is one that I've been wanting to record right since the beginning of all these uh, podcasts, which is an opportunity to just have a conversation around what is marketing anyway. I have a gentleman who's come alongside me to help facilitate that conversation today. So I think it'll be really beneficial. So if you've ever really wondered what exactly is marketing in a church context, today's episode is for you. Enjoy the show. Yeah, my name is uh, Ralph Poupart. It's kind of an unusual last name. It's French-Canadian. It's actually spelled P-O-U-P-A-R-T. A lot of people like to just pronounce it Smith. A little bit easier to deal with. <laughs> and uh, I've been in ministry now since, uh, I guess, probably around the mid-'80s. I've planted three churches in Atlantic Canada over the years. One of the things that um, I noticed having a business background, I came out of sales and marketing. I was with uh, television broadcasting in Canada for several years, was actually the sales marketing manager for the largest uh, high-end European car dealership uh, east of um, Montreal. I'll just leave it at that. We'll throw brand names in there. Probably not good to do that. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> marketing background goes back a long way. So I've been in broadcasting. I've done a written, produced uh edited, directed uh, TV, radio commercials. I've been on the air. I've been behind the camera, in front of the camera, did just about everything to do with broadcasting and marketing and sales and all those related things. So what I decided to do when we started planting churches was to continue to work. One of the reasons I did that was because, A, I wanted to have a presence in the business community because I think that I remember T.L. Osborne saying, who was one of the greatest evangelists alive, uh, making this statement years ago, and he said, one thing you've got to figure out for yourself sinners don't go to church. Mm. So, you know, it, it seemed logical to me to stay actively involved in the business community with people who really needed to know the Lord. Um, with that in mind, um, it also made sense to be able to have a source of self-funded revenue while I was church planting, because church planting is not necessarily an easy thing, and if you're supporting a family, you know, it gets to be a bit of a challenge. So with all that, um, you know, I've always had a sensitivity towards the marketing end of ministry. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it's one of the things that drew me to what you're doing, which we can talk about, because it seems to me for smaller local ministries, I know with the international ministries and the television ministries and stuff, they're, you know, they're extremely adept at, at not just sales, but at marketing. I mean, obviously, they have to get their message out there. Right. But at the same time, and, and maybe one of the things I'm going to I'm going to do this um, uh a little bit later on, I'm going to ask you to define a little bit difference between sales and marketing because people don't understand that. That's right. But having said that, uh, what I would see is that the smaller ministries, including the ones around me, including my own, despite my background, were not great at the marketing aspect of it. And the strange part of it, it was almost a dirty word, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so when I kind of came across what you were doing, that's how we sort of got hooked up. I guess in full disclosure, I want to just let our listeners know that you are a client of mine. Absolutely. And, uh, and some of the services that ministrystory.com provides. So uh, it's just proper etiquette nowadays to just to, to disclose that. 
Why don't you share how it is that you came to be sort of a guest, if you want to call it that, on today's show? Well, interestingly enough, um, one of the things that's happened to uh, our ministry fairly recently is that uh, we had an opportunity to do an online radio broadcast uh, through a radio station, internet radio station out of Florida. And um, when I started to do that and started to do interviews with people and then uh, started realizing that it's, it's wonderful to have the content, but now all of a sudden I've got to get people on that site somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's, compl- that's not anything I've done before. I don't know a huge amount about Internet marketing, so it looped back into the whole marketing scenario again, which automatically started to lead over into questions about things like, um, I guess I should have a, you know, a website properly developed for this. What's the website supposed to do? How do I get that out there? When people are searching things online through Google and all that other stuff, how do they find me as opposed to somebody else? I mean, it's just a myriad of questions. Exactly. And, you know, and I'm, I'm very comfortable, I guess, to say this, that my marketing background is much more traditional from the standpoint of uh, television, radio, print, that type of thing. You know, I've never done a whole lot of Internet-related stuff. And in, in addition to that, there's a, uh, there's a whole branding issue that now has to change and has to morph into something that's uh, much more all-encompassing if you're going to be on the Internet, which, you know, I've come to find out the hard way is if you're not going to be getting the Internet, then you might just well not bother doing anything. That's right. <laughs> because that's the direction everything's going. And we had bumped into each other off and on over the years in various, uh, you know, ministry circles and stuff. And when I started taking a look at what you were doing, and and again, David, I'm you know I mean I realize this is being recorded, but this is probably not anything that we haven't discussed before. In my mind, initially, I thought, well, Dave Tonin builds websites. Mm-hmm. Nothing could possibly be farther from the truth. Right. Because I remember the first time we ever sat down to talk about what I thought was going to be discussion about, you know, I need a website, a proper website, and all of a sudden you start throwing all these questions at me. I thought, where in the name of time is this guy coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, because you really forced me to start to focus on what my, um, what my personal image is, what it is I'm trying to project, what my message is, what my mission is. This went way beyond. And, I mean, these, some of these things I had defined, but it's one thing to have them in your head and have them as an internal emotional driver, That's right. if I can do it that way. Yep. It's a completely different thing to be able to distill that down to something that you can present to the public and for sake of just narrow casting it, web-based, which yep. is kind of why you and I talked, that's, right. that's a whole different breed of cat. And, and it's a lot harder than most people think. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't even know where to start. So, you know, one of the things I found dealing with you was that, um, and again, I'll be very transparent, it was a little uncomfortable in the beginning because you really forced me to step back. And you may recall I took a while to do it because right. I kept thinking, okay, well, that's not really what I'm trying to say. That's not really what I'm trying to project. What am I trying to do? And I mean, you've been very, you know, it's almost like I hired a therapist. Or something, right? <laughs> so, but it's been a very healthy exercise. And, and in the process of doing this, you've kind of brought this thing down to a bit of a bottleneck, mm-hmm. where now we're almost to the point where I'm feeling more comfortable that when I finally do push the button on this, which we've just now started to do, and integrated into the radio network, the radio um, broadcast that we're doing. Now, when I direct people on my radio show to the website, I know that that's going to take them where they need to be. Right. Which is, to some degree, which is where I want them to be. But at the same token, um, in our particular case, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I can't speak for anybody else, but 
we're not actually interested in selling product, at least at this point in time. What we are interested in doing is getting people on our website and providing them with the training and teaching materials that they need to develop their relationship with the Lord and grow and develop as a, you know, right. a healthy, wholesome Christian in the community. Well, you're doing what a lot of churches are trying to do or what a lot of ministries are trying to do, which is essentially trying to build an audience or build a followership or, or build a community. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got started, and it's sort of where we've migrated up until this point in time, and that's how the whole radio th- station deal has come out. I mean, one of the things you said to me the other day was just totally profound. I mean, I can't believe I didn't think of this, but I knew that the the, the uh, website, because there's a number of, of uh, ministries broadcasting on that website, um, you had said to me, so, you know, how many people are you reaching? And I said, well, I mean, the website reaches, uh, I don't know, so many people. And you, you said, yeah, but that's the radio station website. What I'm asking you is how many people are reaching your exact program? Mm. And I said, well, I don't know. And you said, well, why isn't there a counter there? Yeah, we need <laughs> to thought, find this out. And this I is thought, important. Gee, that's kind of basic stuff. You know, for a marketing guy, I just never thought of that because right. I'm just thinking about the radio station in general. You right. Know? right. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how we've managed to land where we've landed. Yeah, and, and why I've asked Ralph to be a part of this conversation is because what you're essentially defining there in, in your story is, is the whole aspect of trying to understand what marketing really is. And so many church leaders and so many ministry leaders, as I've been talking to them, don't really understand what marketing is. Sure. And, 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 and what they really think it is is they think you know, that, it, that it's advertising or something. And so what, what happens is, is as I've invited guests to be a part of this program, uh, what I usually ask them is, well, what is the area of expertise that you have or your real sweet spot or real passion for ministry that we can talk about that? And uh, often I will tip them and say, I'd, in addition to what your specialty is, I would you know, love to gear it in the direction of just defining what marketing is. Sure. And so many people that I've talked to will have just, for whatever reason, stepped back from that and said, well, I don't really want to, I don't feel comfortable talking about defining marketing, but I'm great about talking about branding or I'm great about talking about communications or web or technology or social media. And so that's fine and that's been great. We've had some great episodes. But up to this point, my real heartbeat has been, let's define what marketing is. And mm-hmm. so then when I, when I shared that story with you, you basically said to me, well, why don't I interview you? And yep. I was like, hey. That's a good idea. <laughs> Just sort of like you had this revelation. I sort of, uh, I'm standing in front of a guy who, yes, he's a client, but he's got all this broadcast experience and he does a radio show on the internet. Why, sure. why couldn't you interview me? And so uh, that's kind of how we got to this place. I want you to give us um, a definition or some kind of an understanding about the difference between marketing and sales, because those two things are linked, but they're absolutely not related in a lot of ways. Right. Well, marketing and sales are very much partnered. In a lot of ways, sales comes in, in under the umbrella of marketing. Um, people, will, people will actually argue that a little bit, depending on who you're talking to. But marketing is a discipline, okay? So it, it is an overarching, overarching piece. So when I, when I first start talking to a pastor or a church leader, um, when I'm working with them through ministrystory.com, I, 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 I basically try to figure out where, where, what they're thinking because, you know, often what they'll say is I'll ask them, I kind of get to the point where I realize that most pastors need a little bit of education and most leadership boards or elders boards or deacons boards, whatever your church calls them, 
they need some education. They need some training so that they're all on the same page. Because when I ask somebody, how do you define marketing, quite often they will default it to say something like, it's sales, or right. it's advertising, and or it's branding, or logos, or whatever. But the number one answer that I usually get when I ask that question is that people will say, well, marketing is advertising. Right. And, and marketing is advertising in some respects, but it is a lot more than advertising. See, ads are simply just one outflow or manifestation of the marketing process. Okay. So, so it, it's a very tangible and very visible piece, but it's just one piece. So when I did my marketing degree, my university marketing degree, it was a four-year program, and all the courses were focused on the marketing discipline. Only one course, only one semester was actually dedicated to advertising. Wow. And the same thing happens with sales. I had one course, one semester dedicated to sales. And I had one course dedicated to sales management, and it goes on and on. There were a lot of sub-disciplines or, or courses underneath the discipline, but, but advertising and sales are just, are just two of, of many. Okay? And so most people, when they presume that marketing equates to advertising, they're wrong because advertising is just the end, one of the main end results that you see after all the work, all the strategy, all the planning and preparation and, and, and stuff that go on before you actually get that finished ad piece, whether it be print or radio or television or whatever the end marketing advertising piece is, there's a whole lot that goes on in a professional capacity before you get there. All right, so let me ask you this. With that in mind, uh, how would you define marketing for a church? Well, that's a good question. Um, I actually wrote a couple blog posts on this, and I'll, I'll post them on my site afterwards, and we'll make sure that they're available for your radio program as well, is that I, I came up with this very, very sort of condensed definition, because if you look at marketing textbooks, of which I had the opportunity to market some marketing textbooks in my career, and, and they have very, very stiff definitions and very academic definitions. But essentially, the definition I've come up with is that marketing in a church context is basically building a trust relationship with someone who needs the hope and love and life purpose that Jesus offers so that you, as the individual, can share with them the power of his life-changing story. So in its simplest form um, or definition, marketing is simply telling your story and the tools and uh, whatever it is that you need to use to communicate it really effectively. So you see, I think, and most church leaders think, and you, you probably think this too, Ralph, that we as Christians have the greatest story on the planet to tell. Absolutely. It's the, it's the story of Jesus, right? Without question. Absolutely. So if, if this is the case, then shouldn't we do everything we possibly can to tell that story with the greatest level of effectiveness and impact and excellence and passion and excitement that, that, that we possibly can muster up? Um, you know, it's, it's that, but it's also about the importance, and, and yes, you're absolutely correct, but I think it's also about the importance of getting clarity on that. Correct. Because that's the challenge that I faced. Right. I thought I had an idea of where I was going, and in my particular case, because, because we embrace several facets, because we work in the business community, because we work with churches, because I'm actively involved with business, um, you know, what I discovered after, I think, halfway through our first meeting was I had absolutely no focus. Right. And that's the thing that you challenged me on, and right. that's the area that I had to kind of go back to my office and think, okay, I, like, I, I know what I'm about, 
but I'm not quite sure exactly the message that I'm that I'm portraying out there because as you had said at the time when we talked, all of the things that you do are valid, but you can't just kind of scattershot that with a shotgun. Right. It's got to be focused. So no, you're you're absolutely correct. And, and your point on focus is critical because focus and clarity are really what it's all about. And as you had said earlier when we were talking, you said that, you know, um, you know in your head what you're all about. You know what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, it's a really, really challenging in, endeavor to kind of take all of that information that's racing around in your head and actually write it out in a very succinct way so that, I mean, no matter what medium you use, whether you use print medium or website or web ad or radio ad or TV ad, you have a very defined, distinct, short period of time to capture somebody's attention and deliver your message. And, and trying to distill that down into something that really focuses A, on who it is you're trying to speak to and what their need is that you're meeting is absolutely critical. Well, and one of the things that you and I talked about, I remember the day that we got together, there was a little bakery up around the corner with these great muffins. <laughs> And we sat there and ate muffins and drank coffee and got yeah. into all this. And one of the things that, that came out of that discussion was, um, I don't know if it was you or I brought the thing up, but I know that you had developed it quite a bit further once we started kind of unpacking it, was the whole trend on things like YouTube. I mean, when you look at the, the penetration that YouTube has on the Internet is mind-boggling. And the average time on just about anything you see on YouTube is what, about three, maybe five minutes at the most? Oh, I would say actually it's probably in the two to three minute range, yeah. And a lot of that is now skewed towards a younger and younger generation, which whether we like it or not, you know, I mean, we're not getting any younger. So a lot of the folks we're trying to reach are this next generation. And, and one of the things that became a challenge for me within the context of focus and everything else was realizing that I can't go on forever when I'm trying to present whatever it is I'm trying to present. It's got to be very succinct, very to the point, and there has to be a way to get them from point A to point B if they're interested in following through in that thread. And, so, and, that, and that's true. But what's interesting, too, is like most people also have the – it is a misperception that – tools like YouTube are only for the younger generation. And I was actually listening to another podcast that is a marketing, you know, corporate marketing podcast. And they were saying that, you know, marketers are doing a real disservice to the 50 plus generation because when you actually look at it today, what the real statistics are is everybody's clamoring after this 20, 18 to 35 or 18 to 40 age bracket to try and build in or capture them for brand loyalty. But the absolute truth of the actual research is, is that the 50 plus crowd is a bigger and, and secondly has much more money to spend and they are very influential in brand decision making as well. Well, if you, um, if you look at the aging trends in, oh, I can't speak for other countries, but I can speak for U.S. and Canada. Right between, uh, let me see if I can remember this, I think it's 1946 and 1964. So we're coming out of the war years, and there was this huge, huge birth bubble, which we used to call the baby boomers. Right, and that they was, still do. And they still do. We don't focus as much on the boomers now as we used to. But that represented, if I remember correctly, something like, uh, and I, I used to know the statistics, I think it's like one-third of the entire population. It was 73.5 million or something to that effect. It was a staggering bubble in the population. And if you move through time and look at what transpired with them, they were responsible for things like hula hoops 
and roller skates right. and the A&W trend where they used to go up and have the lady come to the deal, you know, with the outside and all that stuff. But, I mean, and, and Levi's jeans and all of that stuff, those are all 45 RPM records. I mean, you can literally go through time. And what that bubble uh, was actually interested in is where the marketing trends literally came alive and died afterwards if they couldn't keep up. So that the the front end of the baby boomers is now that just the very front tip is now just turning uh, into in, it's 65. Yeah. So and, you're, and you're correct. That I heard the other day that is something like um, some there's someone that turns 50 every four seconds or something. Yeah. That, you know, and, and so when you realize the the growth of that bubble, as you call it, or that demographic, and them being completely open, even though it's uh, the perception is it's only the youth or younger generation that are into the technology. The 50-plus crowd is absolutely into technology, and they're absolutely into YouTube, and they're absolutely into Facebook and all of these other tools, uh, but they don't get the profile, and they certainly you don't see that in commercials for Apple or you know commercials for cars or anything else. But they, have, they are the biggest group, and they have the biggest buying power. Well, and interestingly enough, and, and I, I don't want this to sound like um, I'm, the, the motivation's wrong, but just bear with me, if you will, if I can do it this way. With that in mind, and I totally agree, and I actually hadn't even really thought that much about that until you brought it up in the last couple of minutes, but with that in mind, because tr- ministries are what they are. I mean, for the most part, if we just strip away all the facade, they're not-for-profit societies. Whether we want them to be or not, they operate on donor basis. And the bulk of the income earning potential in those donor bases right now is not with the teenage crowd. Correct. I, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's just that their earning power hasn't reached its peak. Right. The bulk of the potential revenue to come into those not-for-profits at this point in time, you're absolutely right, is our age bracket. Right. And, you know, when I was listening to this podcast the other day and them, them talking about the, the growth and the spending power and the money and all of that of, of the 50-plus crowd, and they're also saying that actually the 50-plus crowd is actually even, um, even though they're retiring, so those getting 55, 60, 65 are retiring, what's actually happening is they're also actually getting richer. And why that is is because they have aged grandparents or aged parents who are now 80, 85, 90 yeah. that are then dying and then they leave, in, you know, in you know, their, in their wills, yep. their, their estates to their kids who are in the 50 to 65 range. Absolutely. And so, with all this money, and I don't want this to all be about money, but what you're hitting at is a very important thing: is that churches are doing the same thing that many corporations are doing. Is and and I totally understand that the church needs to reach the next generation, the new generation, the young generation. We do need to do that, but we can't do that at the sake of forgetting that there's this huge demographic, the 50-plus demographic, that has, has its own set of spiritual needs and desires, but they also, from a marketing and from a church nonprofit funding standpoint, they, if you can reach them, not only are you growing your church and not only are you meeting a huge need in our culture, but you're also reaching the demographic that once you equip them and disciple them on the importance of the, art, the spiritual discipline of tithing as one example, then they are the they are the group that are going to fund your ministry going. Sure, because the pipeline is uh, the the gospel's free, but the pipeline costs a fortune. Absolutely, you know, especially these days. So, mm-hmm. so let me ask you this: um, within the framework of all that, like, what would be a uh, uh, give us give me an idea why a strategy to plan is so critically important to to like church marketing success? Well, I, I think it's important because first and foremost, we have to look at one thing. Let, let, let's be spiritual about this for a minute. Is that as church leaders. 
you know, we have a, a, a we have to fulfill the Great Commission. So I'm a church leader. You're a church leader. You know, the commission that I've been given and that every Christian's been given, but as a church leader, we've been given the commission in Matthew 28 that says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So in order to do that, we have to be really passionate about what the commission is that Jesus has given us and what our relationship is like and what the difference is that Jesus has made in our life personally, but also in the life of our church. And so we have to become very good storytellers. We have to basically, you know, going back to that trust factor, we have to, we have to build trust with people. It's very relational in our culture in North America, and, and I think it is in, in most of the Western world where, you know, people don't naturally trust the church anymore or feel that a church is really that relevant. And I know that's absolutely the case in Europe. Uh, and it's becoming more and more so the case in Canada. And as I've talked to U.S. Lead, church leaders, they're saying that it's kind of tipping that way as well, although church is still a much more uh, dominant or central part of a lot of the community in especially the southern U.S. than it is anywhere else in North America. But people don't naturally feel that they can trust the church. So what we as people have to do and what we have to mobilize our church people, our congregations to do, is to help build relationships with people to the point that they will actually trust us um, to, and to the point that they'll actually listen to us. So they have to get to know us and to, to build that relationship and realize that we're you know, pretty decent people, that we have a good heartbeat, and then we're pretty regular folk. And then, and then they have to get to the point where they can then, you know, in that relationship get to the point of trust to actually listen to what we have to say to and the what, message. We're, what we're going to invite them to, which essentially is the goal is, is that you mobilize your church congregation to invite their friends or invite their network of people to come to your church and become part of your community, right? So with that in mind, if when you start to work with a church and you've gotten to the point where you've agreed on the importance of developing a marketing strategy, which, I mean, that's a whole process in and of itself, but where do you, where do you go from there? Well, um, I, I guess, yeah, because I didn't really answer your question that well on, on what is the importance of strategy. And, and I guess the importance of the strategy side is, is just kind of getting to the point of the church realizing that you can't just create a message and throw it out there. Like you can't just say, we have great music or, or we have great preaching. Because to somebody who doesn't come to your church, if they're not a Christian, having gr- good music, they don't relate to this music at all anyway. They don't know the songs. They don't know the words. They don't know the, the tunes. They're not, that's not going to draw them. They've got plenty of bars and concerts that they could go to. Uh, they certainly don't want to be preached at. So that's not going to do it. Um, there, there may be some community aspects. So what you really need to do, and, and we've had a couple of the Ministry Story podcasts that have focused on this, which is really trying to identify in, in, in your strategy who it is that you're trying to reach. Because, you know, Ralph, what's interesting is one of the first questions I ask every church leader when we start to work is, who are you trying to reach? Who is your church trying to reach? And the majority of people will respond, well, we're trying to reach everybody. And, and I'm sorry, but even though philosophically that may be true, you are there for everybody. There is no way on the planet that your church is there to reach or is capable of reaching everybody in your given community. Absolutely. Right? And so you have to really, the importance of strategy gives you that focus that you talked about earlier and helps you zone in on, okay, who are we really? 
and, and that really is, is important, is trying to define who are we as a church. So who is the voice of the pastor? Who is, you know, what is the voice or the culture of the, of, of the church itself, the congregation and the programs you have? You know, what is the, the demographic you have? So, for example, in the strategy process, you, you look at what, what is the majority demographic you currently have in your church? So if your current demographic is primarily the, you know, 50 to 60 crowd, if you're then saying, well, we're really trying to reach, we want to reach more 20 to 25-year-olds, well, with what program are you going to do that? Right. Or how are your 50 to 60-year-olds naturally going to be able to do that? Because their sphere of influence, their network is not. Is a totally different network. Absolutely. Yeah. So the primary place, the ideal place to start with, unless you're going to pour a lot of resources into hiring a young adult pastor and developing a young adult program to reach these 20 to 25-year-olds, the, the more probable place to start for a church is to look at what that demographic is. So let's just say the 50 to 60 crowd. If that's your biggest number in your demographic, and you will always have several probably, but if your largest core demographic is 50 to 60, then what are you going to do to help those people reach the people that they're already rubbing shoulders with all week long? Right. So, you know, who are their friends? Who are their neighbors? What clubs do they belong to? What hobbies do they have? Where are they traveling in their circle? during the week, and then what can you do as a church to create programs or to create outreaches or to create focus that, and give them tools to help invite their network that they're rubbing up shoulders against all week long to something that will help bridge them to your church. And it may not be to invite them to Sunday morning service because most people are like, I don't want to go to church on Sunday. I have no need to go to church on Sunday. So your first place you start is not necessarily to say, how are we going to get our people to invite their friends to our church. It may be something very, very soft to you know, you know, w- identify really what is their need. So if their need is, you know, um, you know, a- as a 50-year-old, maybe they're they're a parent of a teenager and they're having just a nightmarish time, you know, trying to parent their 16-year-old. So perhaps you decide, well, we're going to put on a parenting seminar um, specifically on how to parent teens. Um, or how to, you know, how to talk to your teenager, or whatever it is. When, when you put that on and you start you know, letting those people who are, have friends and connections with, with uh, others in their neighborhood who have teenagers, and they say, you know, they all share stories, oh, man, it's just been a nightmare trying to deal with what my teenage daughter's going through, and I don't even know what world she lives in, and whatever, whatever. Everybody can relate to that. And then if they were to invite them and say, look, you know, we're putting on a little... Uh, seminar or session or, or, or class or whatever you want to call it to just sit around and talk about what are, the, how, how are, what are some of the good print parenting principles for parenting a teenager. I mean, th- those people who aren't going to your church, that's a definite defined need that they're going to have, and they're going to go, you know what, I'm in such desperate shape. Um, you know, and, and they may have enough respect for, well, if, even if it's biblically based, I'll take that because at this point, everything else I've tried isn't working. Sure. Right? And so it becomes a good event to get them there. And, but the big problem with most churches is they'll create that event and then they'll leave it there. And they'll try to just let it happen organically that people will then just make the common connection. Well, I went to this parenting seminar. Why don't I go to church on Sunday? And people don't think that way either. So you have to, at that parenting 
seminar or event, you then have to figure out very strategically how you're going to then bridge them or kind of hook them, if you will, to get them to jump to the next phase, which may very well be, well, next week we're actually doing, uh, we're continuing this conversation on parenting your teenager, and we're doing it uh, in our Sunday morning service and try to bridge them into. Because what you're then trying to do is get them into a Sunday morning environment where they can experience the community and hear the message of, of what is being taught on Sunday mornings. So let me ask you this then. Is that what you would define as the hub of a church's communication or strategy, or is that, is that another whole kind of a component? Well, really what that is, is that's almost the umbrella of the church strategy. So, so really what it is is it's all the aspects. So you're very much looking at everything, all the aspects of who you are, who they are, what their needs are, what you're going to do, and, and, and it all circles and ties together as, or overarches your church or ministry as, like an umbrella would. Uh, really what the hub is or what that handle of the umbrella is, is that all your communication is going to flow in and out of your website. I mean, today in 2011, 2012, and in the years going forward, I mean, yes, there's social media and yes, there's other tools, but the one thing that you can own, the one thing that you can control, the one thing that you can manage uh, on a very consistent basis that has basically proliferated our culture is the web. And if you have your place, your website, and you can control it, and you can communicate there, that is your hub. Because in your postcard, in your invitation card, in your radio ad, in your magazine ad, in your newspaper ad, whatever it is, you have a very defined short space to, to capture people's attention. However, on your website, if you are succinct about it, you can absolutely communicate much more broadly and answer a lot more questions. And so your website becomes your hub. So David, I, I have to tell you this. Uh, the whole uh, concept behind what you're doing is so much bigger than what I originally thought that it was. And I think in a lot of respects um, is maybe probably the missing ingredient for a lot of the types of things that we're doing as a church and in ministries to try to outreach the community. So if, if people want to get a hold of you, what do they do? Well, the easiest place, of course, to get a hold of me is at ministrystory.com. That basically outlines everything that we do as, in the way of helping churches and, and Christian business leaders uh, or Christian business owners. Uh, but if people want to get to know a little bit more about me and my personal story and some of the ways that I help educate leaders, you can do that through uh, my personal website, which is davidtonin.com. Well, I really appreciate you having me on your show to ask. let me ask you the questions, which is a complete flip around from where I thought that was going to go in the very beginning. But uh, I really have to say that, you know, and I, I don't say it because we're, you know, in business partnership together in terms of me being your client, but I just really want to thank you for everything you've done for us and for our ministry because it literally has been a godsend. Well, thank you for, for saying that. And you know what? It's been a pleasure. And as if people haven't figured it out by now, I'm very passionate uh, you know, about what I do and, and the opportunity that God has given me to, to leave the corporate world and, and work primarily with churches, ministries, and, and Christian business owners. And it, you know, uh, it doesn't feel like work. It, you know, for the first time in my career, this doesn't feel like work because it's very much a passion of mine, and I know that I'm doing what God has kind of lined me up to do. So no, I couldn't it, agree more with that. It, it's exciting. So before we wrap up this uh, episode, why don't you share with people where people can connect with your radio, uh, Internet radio program, uh, if, if they want to check it out in upcoming episodes. Absolutely. If you go to acrossthepondradio.com, that's acrossthepondradio.com, 
the links to the sites and everything are right there. And I just found out actually uh, yesterday, now that we mentioned this, that um, we're actually going to be able to have uh, archives of all the previous shows as well. So by all means, you're welcome to join us there and look forward to it. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for basically facilitating this conversation, and it's been excellent, and, uh, and I appreciate you as, as a friend and as a, as a colleague. Thanks, David. Tell me.